Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In today's economic climate, it's very hard to know what to do with your money. Every financial move is a choice. Sometimes they are good choices, and you will reap the rewards of success. Sometimes there are bad choices, which can leave you in financial ruin if you make too many. Welcome to Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with Gordon Bennett. Our program will help you to make the good choices and avoid the bad. Now, here is Gordon Bennett. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Gordon Bennett, and I have with me today a very special guest, Nikki Holcroft. I met Nikki several years ago in a workshop on finance, and I thought she could offer an awful lot of insight because she sees some of the people who, well, they didn't get it right the first time around. Nikki, welcome to the show, and uh, I'm really anxious to hear what you have to say. So tell us a little bit about what your job is and the kind of people you see. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate it. And um, I'm, a, I'm what they call a housing counselor, um, which encompasses helping people who want to buy a house, uh, people who already have a house and are struggling to keep it. Um, that involves doing credit counseling, um, budget counseling, and just the variety of um, different topics that help people to get better with money. Um, um, getting better with money is something we all want to do, and I guess we uh, go through life trying to get better all the time. What are some of the uh, stories that you have uh, where people have, uh, let's say, gotten it wrong the first time around? Well, that happens almost every day. I mean, a lot of people, I teach uh, on a monthly basis at uh, my uh, nonprofit that I work at called Genesis Housing in the Norristown, Pennsylvania area. Um, we teach a credit class, and then we teach a money management class and a home buyer's class, and those are three separate classes that we teach monthly. And most of the people in that class have pretty much uh, messed up their credit. You know, I would say the average credit scores in that class are probably in the 500 zone. Wow. Um, which, if you know credit scoring, is, is kind of like the a D in school. So, <laughs> you know, they, they're yes. not ready to buy, but they want to buy. And, you know, so trying to get them to understand the the basic principles of paying on time. and Because everybody wants a quick fix. You know, they think they can fix their credit. Um, and so we go uh, about the topic of helping them understand just the basic premise of paying on time and what it means when someone doesn't pay you on time and how you feel about them as a person, <laughs> um, you know, and, and what it takes to kind of build that trust back again. And that's kind of how scoring 
uh, credit scoring kind of works, but I kind of break it down to a more personal level and uh, to try to help them understand that a, a score, credit score, is like a grade point average in school. And so every creditor is like a class. So you can be doing good on some and bad on some, and that kind of merges to give you your FICO score or your grade point average, so to speak. You know, I've never looked at it that way, but that's an awfully good way to look at it. The things that you do in life uh, accumulate, and you can't do just one thing right. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do one thing right and one thing wrong, on the average, you're right in the middle. Correct. Uh, uh, these people in your class, what is the average age range, or is there one? Do they start young, or do they... Uh, middle age, older I folks? They're adults. Um, I, I don't really do, I would love to do some more, uh, you know, teenage or college age, but I would say most of my, uh, students in class are probably adult age into their, like, mid twenties up to, I mean, I've senior citizens coming to my class, uh, but I would say average would be in the 30 to 50 range. Well, financial problems can, occur any time in our life mm-hmm. uh, what if you have any or can just give me some ideas what are some of the uh, reasons people come to your class what caused them to say whoops I need to do something different uh, well a lot of them kind of think that okay since we teach three classes and the last one is home buying I think initially they think I want to buy a house and so they come to the class, and then when they kind of sit and understand the credit piece, which is critical to lending, they kind of then realize, okay, we, <laughs> I'm maybe not ready if my score is 540, um, you know, to buy. And so then we work on that piece, and so uh, helping them to understand what does it take to improve a score, which then really gets heavily into money management. And oftentimes people say, well, I just want to take that credit class. And I'm like, if you need the credit class, you need the money management class because you can't really do one without the other. They really tie together uh, a lot. So um, we really want them to do both of those. Um, You know, in order to improve the credit, you have to improve your money. You know, uh, let's see now. The money management class comes first. Then the credit class, and then the home buying class. Is that the logical progression? It is. Uh, although we do our credit class first, just because people think that's what they need. Okay. And it's when the, then they come in and kind of realize where they may sit uh, score wise or financially. That then kind of leads them to coming back for the money management. You know. Um, I'm I'm going to ask you a loaded question. Do some people decide that? The problem is too big and they drop out, or do they stick it out? Um, typically, they, they finish the class, um, although I would say that sometimes they'll, they'll come to the credit and the money management, and by then they realize they're not ready to buy a house and maybe don't show up for the home buying class. Well, um, that's all right then. I mean, if they're not ready, that's, uh, that's a good sign, actually, that yep. they... Uh, they saw the light of the day, so to speak. Yeah. I know I was teaching a class down at uh, the hospital, and a young lady came up to me and she said, uh, would you suggest that I buy a house? <laughs> and I said to her, I don't really give advice on buying houses or not buying houses. And she answered, well, the rates are so low and the prices are so far down. My boyfriend and I thought we should buy a house. 
and I started asking her a series of questions. The first question, have you saved up the down payment? Mm-hmm. Well, no, she was going to borrow that from her 401k. <laughs> and I said, well, do you have an emergency fund? And she said, well, no, I don't have one of those either. And I said, are you out of debt? And she said, uh, no, we are maxed out on our credit cards. <laughs> and the more I asked her, the more she came to realize she wasn't ready yet. Is that mm-hmm. pretty difficult? <laughs> I know a lot of times people say, when's the right time to buy? When's a good time to buy? I said, when you're ready to buy. That's a good time to buy. I said, people bought in the 80s when rates were super high and when people are in their lifestyle ready, financially ready, they'll buy, whether the rates are high or low. You know, you know it's kind of interesting, this thing about housing. I've uh, seen this evolution. We start out, uh, at least I did, thinking that a house was an investment instead of a place to live. And you could, it would appreciate and then you borrow some more money. It was like an extra person working for you. Now you could appreciate some more and then you'd buy, borrow some more money. Uh, that's kind of changed, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, I have people who have done that over many years, and they're in uh, in a lot of trouble financially with their uh, with their mortgage because they sold it as a as a way to keep tapping into that equity piece. Um, but doing a, a lifetime of doing that and increasing your debt as you approach your senior years is a scary thing, and I see that too often. You know. Uh, a lot of times when you see the news, you'll see that, you know, the, it, it kind of looks like everybody's in trouble because of the bad mortgage they got and everybody got ripped off. And honestly, I'm not seeing that when I'm counseling people. Most of the people that I counsel in what we call foreclosure prevention type counseling, they have a normal mortgage. They have a rate that's like six-something. Um, you know, they're not in these crazy you know, option arms or subprimes and things like that. I'm not seeing a lot of that. I'm seeing people who who are not in the loan they bought the house with that they over year after year after year, usually about every, I would say, two to four years, took a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until, you know, one couple I have, um, they're in their 60s, and uh, they bought their house in 1973 for less than 20000 and now they owe 165 Wow. And so See, that's now, all... you know, and they retired, and, and they can't afford it. I'm like, you're, you're, you went the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, and I guess some of us couldn't see that coming, but uh, I know our pastor a long time ago said that you should always pay down your house and not take more money out of it. It was a place to live not a place to make investments. And uh, I know I've always said, if you haven't saved up enough money to put 20% down, you probably should find the kind of house that you can buy for 20% down because you have a little bit of cushion in that. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it shows that you've disciplined yourself to take care of a house and you avoid PMI. Per, uh, that, I forget what PMI stands for. It's that Private mortgage insurance. Private mortgage insurance, yeah. And it protects the lender. It doesn't protect you. It protects the lender. And it makes your interest rates higher. How do you feel about that paying down, uh, uh, putting a pretty good amount of money down on a house? Well, it's always better to put more down if you can. I mean, there are some local programs that allow a no PMI product 
for for people who have less than twenty percent down. Um, but you know that whole premise of buying with no money, as people were doing prior to two thousand and seven and eight. Um, you know, I mean, I I've seen people borrowing one hundred and seven percent of their price. They would roll in all the closing costs and. You know, and so that was kind of just crazy stuff happening. <laughs> yeah, a little common sense goes a long way, and sometimes we don't have any common sense. Right. Uh, right. I know I'm an ex-banker, and I saw these 125% to equity loans, and I said, that can't go on forever. Someday there's going to be a day of reckoning, and I'm afraid it has come now. Okay. And uh, I've also never seen a man 55 or a woman 55 say, I wish I had started later in saving for the future. Nobody <laughs> says they started soon enough. <laughs> right. right, that's for sure. You know, yeah. the sooner you start putting money away, the less you have to do it. I mean, you know, you can start with smaller amounts if you have a lot of running room. You know? Yeah, that's right. You, you just save a little bit every time. Uh I, the old saying is uh, the richest man in Babylon, first he paid himself and then he paid all the other people and he didn't get caught up in the, uh, living beyond his means, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've come to the time where we think everybody should own a house. And, uh, oh, by the way, do houses cost more than most people expect for maintenance and taking care oh, of them? Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, a lot of times I'll get people that tell me, well, if I pay a 1000 for rent, I think that's stupid. I should own. I said, well, if you own and pay a 1000 in a mortgage, it still costs you more than if you rent because you can't call somebody else when things are broken. Um, that's true. For utilities, a lot of times you're paying for the sewer and the water and, and trash and things like that that sometimes are not uh, having to be paid in the rental. Um, but those repairs and maintenance are, are a big deal. You know? Yeah, I know. I was. Uh, I would rather see an ambulance in my driveway than the plumbing truck because <laughs> plumbers get triple time if it's an emergency. And uh, Anybody who owns a house will tell you it really eats money, so you better have an emergency fund set aside for that. And if you don't, I see- like the, you know, you mentioned that lady at the uh, hospital. Um, you know, if she doesn't have any money now... You know, and I've seen people do that with the 401k. That becomes their go-to savings account. You know, they, they borrow for their house payment or they borrow for their, uh, one lady I just had recently, they borrow to do a bathroom, to fix the bathroom. I'm like, that's not supposed to be your savings account for fixing your yeah. house. Yeah, an emergency fund is an emergency fund. It doesn't include eating out for dinner, going to another movie. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. it is really an emergency. When something breaks in the house, it's got to be fixed right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you better take care of that, and that's what that emergency fund is for. We're coming up on a break here pretty quick, so uh, I'm going to tell our listeners, we've been listening to Nikki and myself, Gordon Bennett, talk about money, jobs, and other issues in life. Our health is one of them. And uh, we're going to have to take a short break now, and we will be right back after this short break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. What's really going on in Washington? Listen as two of Washington's most experienced insiders, Howard Marlowe and Michael Willis, divulged the strategies of the key players affecting legislation and policy matters every week on The Inner Loop. Unlike most talk shows, which feature hosts that have little to no experience working with the federal government, The Inner Loop is hosted by two professionals who actively work to influence federal policy on a daily basis. The Inner Loop is heard live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Today's business marketplace is becoming increasingly global thanks to technologies that didn't even exist a few short years ago. Your business might be a startup or you might be one of the global 500. Either way, you're probably looking at customers and competitors in faraway regions. Listen for Global Reach with host Tay Revez as she brings together experts, ideas, and listeners to help you anywhere in the world. Global Reach is broadcast every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with Gordon Bennett. To speak with Gordon and this week's guest, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to goreben32 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back, and this is Gordon Bennett, and my guest with me today is Nikki Holcroft, a credit counselor, teaching people how to uh, manage their money better. She's been doing it for quite a while, and she sees an awful lot of people, and I really like her talking. And by the way, we really like to hear from people in the audience because that gives us a cue as to what we should be talking about and what concerns people have. I know we talked a lot about housing in the last uh, part of our segment. Uh, the other thing I want to talk a little bit about is just debt in general. Um, you know, I used to hear all the time, good debt in bad debt. And I have to tell you, I have heard of that for so long that I finally saw and stopped and thought about it and said, you know, from my perspective, there isn't any good debt. If you can be completely out of debt, you have so many more choices than if you have any debt at all. So what I've started talking about is necessary debt and unnecessary debt. If you're starting out in life, you probably have to borrow money to buy a new automobile or a used car if you're just out of school. The same may be true about your first house. You have to borrow something. You don't have to have a McMansion, but you may have to have a place to live and decide to be in debt for a short period of time. But I'd like to think about 
talking more and more about necessary and unnecessary debt and uh, get away from all that unnecessary debt. And the first unnecessary debt I think about is what do we put on our credit cards? Tell me some of the things you've seen on credit cards and the people you've counseled, Nikki. Well, a lot of times people um, get talked into uh, getting a credit card when they're young. Or, you know, I talk about some of the people that I have in class who have poor scores, and so then they're talked into getting, this is how you're going to build your credit, you need to get a credit card, um, and then they get this little teeny credit card of $300, and they, a lot of times they're putting what I would call junk on it, clothing, it's uh, dinners, um, you know, things like that, and very quickly they max it out and then they get another one. You know, it's not uncommon for me to see somebody in the early stages of rebuilding credit having five and six of these tiny little credit cards. I just had someone the other day like that, and, and I'm like, you need to kind of pay these down and get rid of these. I mean, more and more and more is not better. You know, in, improving your score does have something to do with showing a repetitive good payment. But showing a repetitive good payment on one thing is a good thing. Building The building credit syndrome is, to me, um, one where people get confused and think, oh, if I get three or four and I pay, then that's going to be better than paying one. I said the problem with paying four is that a lot of times you can't juggle all those. And now all of a sudden, you know, a $25 payment six times, is now $150, and now that's not as easy to do. And then people start messing up, and then all of a sudden, the, you know, they go back into this cycle of being late and, you know, messing up. Um, messing up is a good word. <laughs> <laughs> it describes it very well. It's just messing up. They mess you up. Know, you know, some people have things happen in their life. They lose their jobs, or they have sickness, or their kids are getting trouble and what have you. But I think that most of the people, when they get into money troubles, it's decisions they have made, not things that have happened to them. Do you agree? Yeah, or that that during the time that they had, and this is what I see oftentimes when people are coming to me uh, for the foreclosure prevention, they they have a lot of other things. They have two car loans. They have a lot of uh, consumer debt, credit card debt, um, school loans. You know, and they're like, well, the problem is this, that my hours got cut or one of us lost a job. I said, but you made all that debt when you were making good money. That's when you made those bad debts, you know, and, and you made six figures and that wasn't enough. You were making all those loans at, the, at that time that you should have had enough money. So you've seen people with six-figure income still in problems. Sure. Yeah, because uh, we yeah. always think of somebody poor and living under the bridges or something and a homeless. You're telling me that uh, there are people making very good livings and they've still gotten themselves into a credit problem. Yep, because you know someone who makes three hundred and now makes one hundred feels poor. Yeah, because you know there's a couple of examples. Yeah, lifestyle is a good thing. You know, marketers and I'm a former marketer and uh, I admit to persuading people to buy things they didn't need, couldn't afford, and uh, over the long run end up in the garage sale. But a lot of people are succumbing to this. You deserve it. You have to have. I know uh, one of the guys married to my daughter, 
was into watches, and he would sit there and show people how expensive his watch was. But my Timex that cost $19 told as good a time as his watch. Uh, People get caught up in that a lot. Do you see that in your uh I do. I do. In fact, um, you know, it's it's amazing. Um, You know this, uh, and your audience probably doesn't, but I, I run a food bank at my local church. And so, of course, we're getting people who are in serious need if they're coming to a food bank. But, um, you know, the number of people that come in with iPhones and expensive shoes and nails done and, you know, all kinds of things that are in, you know, high end are, are uh, you know, not, it's not unusual to see that. I, or, you know. I've driven by our local high school and see kids driving to school in their BMWs <laughs> because their parents think they've got to live a certain lifestyle or they're nobody. Mm-hmm. And I think that's dead wrong. I think parents have a lot to do with this. The old saying is, if you find yourself in a hole, you should stop digging. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the first place. I think attitude has a lot to do with it. Uh, agree or not agree? I, oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, I counseled a lady who was in a shelter, um, and her cell phone bill was near $300. For her and a couple kids, and her kids were like, one was like eight or ten years old. I'm like, eight or ten years old, they have a phone? <laughs> like, you know, it's just kind of crazy stuff. Um, we could, you know. we could go off in a whole new direction about parents indulging their children, and they start them on the road to bad habits, and those bad habits stay with them a long time. Yeah. I think a lot of responsibility is the parents in teaching their kids right. Mm-hmm. You see that every day, don't you? I do, I do. I'm, I'm currently in the process of running a Christmas program in our area, and you know, same segment of the market. We're trying to help lower income families, and so we ask them to, you know, give us some suggestions of things that people could buy their kid, and um, we kind of set some limits of you know, seventy-five dollar range, and then you know, people ask for things like American Girl dolls. I'm like, I don't think American Girl dolls are seventy-five dollars or less, you know. <laughs> I don't buy dolls, so I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm a fan of Google, so, you know, not having little kids, I kind of Google this stuff when people ask for certain toys that I'm like, what is that? And then you Google it and find out they're like $105, you know, and I'm uh, like, okay. <laughs> I know my wife and I, we're great shoppers, but not buyers. We will look a long, long, long time. It took us three years to buy a new television set, and we okay. did just what you did. And we had as much fun shopping as we had buying. And that's another good habit people can get into. I know we bought a rug for my wife's office, and I gave in to the salesman who said, if you open a charge account at our store, you can have cash same as uh, six months, I think. Well, I had the money to buy the rug. Mm -hmm. But I said, why not use your money for six months? Mm -hmm. And... uh, so six months came, and we got the bill, and I looked at it, and I looked at it again. Well, the first thing they did was charge me for credit protection, which I didn't want, and it took me months to get rid of that. Mm. But it said in the upper right-hand corner, and I love this little box, it said, if you pay only the minimum, remember, this is a rug, if you pay only the minimum, you will have paid for the rug in full in, get this, 31 years. <laughs> 31 years, I would be dead and gone, and the rug would be worn out. And we'd still have the bill for the rug 
31 years in the past. Well, now you so, know what's on all the, everybody's credit cards, and they're paying for that, you know, uh, beta VCR they bought in the 80s, you know, and different uh, things that people buy and put on credit cards and dinners and stuff like that, and they're still paying for it. And it's a lot more money, isn't it? Now, I'm going to, in the uh, three minutes we have here before we have a break, uh, I know you teach a Dave Ramsey class, and he has a snowballing technique about how to get out of debt. Why don't you give us a quick rundown on how that works? Okay. The snowball, instead of focusing on interest rate, looks at um, amount owed. So when you have several debts to pay off, you're going for the smallest amount owed and then working your way up to those bigger debts. And in doing that, you you pay off faster uh, the first debt, and you kind of get that motivation to continue going. And a lot of people would argue the opposite, that, hey, I should go for that higher interest rate. Um, and, I, and I agree with Dave. I've been teaching that type of debt snowball for a lot of years. And I said, you know, if I'm on a diet for six months and I still look the same, I'm probably not staying on it. And when I if I go on a big debt, that's the highest uh, interest rate, in six months of paying a little bit extra on a big debt, I'm still getting six statements in the mail. And when I still get six, you know, they look a lot the same. Even though I am making progress, it doesn't feel like it. And so eliminating bills coming in is a, is a key factor for uh, staying motivated and working to the next one and then paying more because that payment's gone. Yeah, I, I'm of the school that you should pay the small amounts off first because of the psychological value uh, that it has. Now, I am going to uh, change my opinion on debt consolidation. I don't know if that's a bad word in your lexicon or not. Yeah, I don't like but, it. Well, it depends on how you do it, I think. If you have equity in your home and can borrow money real cheap and consolidate your own loans at a lower interest rate, I would agree with that process if, and this is a great big if, Mm -hmm. your purpose is not to enable you to borrow more money or to lengthen the time you're going to pay it off. If your objective is to just lower the interest rate, but you're still going to pay it all off and you're still going to pay it off in the same amount of time, I would say, okay, get rid of some of the high interest debt through techniques like, you know, uh, switching your credit cards around and stuff like that. But by and large, I just think if people leave things alone and pay off the little ones first and really go for the throat on those, mm-hmm. they're going to be better off in the long run. I think maybe you agree with that. I do agree with that. I'm not the fan of the consolidation because those are the people that I see with every three, four years because I believe that they say and they believe it that they have no intention of borrowing again. But they yeah, because they haven't really gotten a good money plan. They think they fixed the problem by moving the debt, and debt doesn't fix debt. Yep, you're absolutely right. Moving it around, uh, you still got that debt on the right. on the books, and uh, you've I got to... equate that to kind of having like liposuction or uh, yeah. a gastric, because you know you you haven't <clears throat> changed your eating habits. Um, that doesn't it doesn't stick long term. Yeah, that's true, and I know a couple of people who've done that. So, all right, I'm going <clears> to <throat> wrap up this segment. Uh, you're talking to Nikki Holcroft on uh, debt generally this time. We talked about housing in the first segment of segment of the program, 
And when we come back, I want to talk about something else. You talked about your food bank at the church. And one of the things people can do to live within their means is to learn how to shop effectively. And boy, you do know how to do that. And I'd like to hear you say, you're listening to Gordon Bennett, Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Issues of Life. We'll be right back after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. Everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with Gordon Bennett. To speak with Gordon and this week's guest, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to goreben32 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Hello, everybody. We're back with another segment of the program. As the announcer has told you, are listening to Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things in Life. I have here with me Nikki, who has an enormous reservoir of really good tips for people who we like to say messed up. And she sees that every day. Vic, Nikki, I want to ask you one thing. Do people need a budget? And before you answer that, you can think about that a minute. I think budgets can be very simple or can be very complicated. I heard one the other day that was the simplest budget of all, and it was from my plumber, who unfortunately was fixing something that was broken. And he said, oh, I've had a budget since I was a teenager. My budget is I cash my paycheck, and I put half of my money in savings, and I use the other half to live off of. I pay my bills and have money in my pocket, and when it's all gone, I quit. (laughs) And if I go hungry or something, that's too bad, but I never touch the money in my savings again. He's got more money than God has. I'll bet. Because he's been saving since he was a teenager half of what he owns. Right. What does a budget do for us? Well, a budget maps out a plan for your spending, and, and a lot of times people kind of do that on the reverse where they spend and then look. We need to look and then spend. Um, and so, you know, even from a young age, I taught my kids who are now grown up, but uh, when they were six, they went on a budget in our house and... 
Um, so we had uh, our motto was you give some, you save some, and you spend some. And so we, uh, when I gave them their allowance, I used to have to go to the bank and get a bunch of ones and quarters and things so that I could give them a breakdown of the things they did for their chores and divide it into those different places so they could uh, they could do some giving, saving, and spending. And I let them mess up too when they, you know, if they wanted to buy something that I thought they might regret later or they spent too much on something, um, you know, would let them do that so they could see the uh, the consequences of their choices. Um, you know, but budgets are can be simple if you're, especially when you're just starting out. The problem is most people don't budget when they're starting out, when they're getting their first job. They're so happy to have some money and they're just running and shopping and, and then they go and buy their car and they take on a car payment that, that is probably too much for them, but they think it's not because they live at home with their parents and they could afford to pay that car payment, but then they move out and then it's too much, <laughs> you know, and they start layering all of these things um, and then they start to see that um, they've made a mess. You know, they've created debt, um, credit cards, cars, and, you know, and now it's a, it's a matter of trying to now learn it uh, after they've made a mess sometimes. You know, it's a lot easier to start with a goal than it is to I believe everybody should have goals. They should have short-term, intermediate, and long-term goals, and they should be about the stuff they want to acquire, the experiences they want to have, mm-hmm. and uh, the wealth they want to accumulate. But if they start with that goal early in life, we went to one of the uh, Crown Ministry classes one time, and the narrator was telling about a woman who did a budget for a month, and a lot of people who are in this field recommend that people keep track of every penny for a month just to see where stuff goes. Mm -hmm. And this woman had discovered that she spent $1,700 a year on vending machines expenses at work. $1,700 a year. Now, that isn't immoral, but she didn't have any idea that's how much money she was spending, and she would maybe have liked to cut that in half. And it's an interesting thing. My wife is now in a job, and they have a vending machine. She can't put a penny in that vending machine without thinking of that story. Right. So these habits that form early in life are really good. I think a budget really keeps you on track. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know we have a pretty simple budget. We hit the ATM about once or twice a month, and we get enough money to live on. But when we get down to the bottom of the barrel, we stop spending money. We don't have to keep track of every penny, but we know that when it's gone, it's gone. Correct. It doesn't matter how you keep track of it. My husband and I have what I call the allowance. You know, so we each have an allowance that we take, um, and uh, and it's the same amount. Uh, and and when it's gone, it's gone. And he doesn't have to answer to me if he goes and gets pizza with his buddies on Thursday night, or I have you know lunch with a friend, or I decide to buy lunch at work. Um, that's my money to do that with. But if I, uh, you know, when it's gone, it's gone. And, and that really helps to uh, see what's happening. I'm not a big fan of uh, excessive debit card use. I mean, I use my debit card uh, for things, but a lot of times that's where I see people overdrawing their bank account or getting down to seriously low dollars before payday because they just keep swiping that card, and, and that's a mindless way of spending. Yeah, I have a couple of things that you, your comments have really triggered. First of all, two people have 
different ways of spending money. We have a couple friends in California, and uh, if you gave each of them a $20 bill, she'd go buy quilting supplies and probably have most of the money left at the end of the year, and he might go buy cigars and smoke it up this afternoon. <laughs> and so each of them has an allowance, but they don't have to answer to the other person for it. People fight over money, and they really should be fighting over goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if your goal is one thing and your husband is something else, that's okay. But you have to allocate the money to those goals in advance, and then you they don't become a battle. Right. Um, I think I it's a really... The, the stupid money. I said there's a certain yeah. amount of stupid money that needs to be built into the budget. That's, and that's really good. That's, yeah. Yeah, the um, stupid things you think they're spending money on versus the stupid things they think you're spending money on. That's very good. I'm going to start using that. that I really like that expression. And as long Stupid as it's the money. same amount or a similar amount, then you don't have arguments every month about the cigars or the quilting yeah. shop. Well, you know. and you can adapt it to yourself. Maybe she buys the groceries and he buys the gas or something. It may, maybe doesn't have to be exactly even, but the idea of a stupid money, I like the idea of it being even. The other thing I want to talk about is debit cards real quick. Um, I recommend to people, and I do this all the time, if you have a debit card, have it linked only to one account that you know the balance in all the time. This is a good uh, pitch for electronic banking. We check our balances every morning. We know how much money is everywhere. And uh, if we're going to do something, we know that there is enough money there. But if you have debit cards and somebody steals it or you lose it and it's linked to all of your accounts, pretty soon every single one of them will be overdrawn. Now, you'll get your money back because they can't uh, charge fraud to your account, but that may take months and you've got all sorts of hardship. So I think if you use a debit card or you like to use a debit card, have a separate like savings account or a money market account that is just for that debit card and that you keep track of the balance in it. That's my recommendation That's on debit card. That's a good idea. That's a good idea or... You know, what I see oftentimes is that people debit themselves right out of their bill money because they haven't really been thinking about how they're allotting all of their pay. In fact, I have one lady, she's on Social Security, and every month I was trying to work on her budget with her, and I would say, okay, now, you know, let's on paper spend your money. So your Social Security got direct deposited, you have to pay your rent, and then this is what's left, and then your electric bill, and this is what's left in your cable bill, and then you have your car insurance. And we would run down, and then you have to go to the laundromat. So you're going to go to the bank. You're going to get four rolls of quarters. That's going to be for the four weeks that are coming up, and this is the rest for food and gas. You know, and so we on paper would spend it. But then she would call me three weeks later and say, my car insurance um, checked it and uh. cashed. And I said, well, Maybe it got lost and you need to write another one. Yeah, but I only have $19 left in the bank. And I'm like, well, why do you only have $19 left if they didn't cash their $150 check? I don't know. I'm like, what do you yeah. mean you don't know? <laughs> I'm like, obviously yeah. you spent it somewhere else. <laughs> I'm a great believer in the envelope system. My grandparents used the envelope system. And for people who don't have a budget that they can live with without handling cash, Mm-hmm. Put it in envelopes, and it really tells you a lot. I, I think that is a wonderful right. system, and uh, you can buy lady, them anywhere. Just use envelopes. And This lady uh, I had um, recommended that when she got to the bottom, I'm like, I'm okay with you. Go pay your rent, and 
And you can even do some online, you know, paying your electric bill or things like that. But when you get to the money for the laundry, go get the quarters, you know, your food shopping money, I wanted her to take that out in cash and put it in an envelope. And it turns out that I made her go get the, a bank printout because she didn't know why. She only had $19 left. And um, when I, I said, well, let's look at it together. And I said, okay, you went to the supermarket, 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 supermarket. And I'm, I added all these up. It was like $378. She spent at the supermarket, and I'm like, well, well, you're only one person in your house. <laughs> I have advice for going to the store, by the way, and it works every time. Never go when you're hungry. Yeah. <laughs> go right after lunch. It's amazing how unappealing things yeah. seem to be <laughs> right after lunch. Well, I'm a that super is... shopper. You know that. Yeah. I'm going to talk some more about that in the next segment. I see we're coming up now on the break, and I want to talk a little bit about shopping and what do you do first? And we're going to be out of time. So uh, you're listening to me, Gordon Bennett, and we're listening to Nikki Holcroft talking about some of the experiences she has had. And we will be right back with you to listen to some more about money, jobs, health, and other things in life right after this short break. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network what does a visual workplace mean to you how does it contribute to operational excellence and what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place listen to the visual workplace work that makes sense to find out Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with Gordon Bennett. To speak with Gordon and this week's guest, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to goreben32 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Hello again, and uh, we're coming up on the last segment of this hour. We've had a lot of fun talking to Nikki Hallcroft about ways that people get messed up with their money. But, you know, one of the things that Nikki has always impressed me with, she is so positive. You got into that mess, you can also get out of it. It is Unless you have had a catastrophic thing like the poor people in New Jersey, their houses have been destroyed. 
they've got a different problem. But if you got messed up because the way you spent money or uh, bought things or uh, just been indolent, uh, there is a way out of it. And reach out for help. There's a lot of people who want to help you, people at your church, people in your community. And, Nikki, I think that is one of the things that we've got to leave everybody with. I want to also tell them that they can rent, uh, reach PTFF, Path to Financial Freedom, PTFF. I've got a lot of forms there and a book on Give Yourself a Raise. They can get that on the site or on Amazon. And those forms can give you a pretty good idea as well as the archive of this program if you want to listen to it again. Now, in this last segment, I want you to tell us how you shop. You have been a marvel in the food bank. How do you do it? Well, it really comes uh, down to matching sales with coupons um, and a lot of times knowing the price that you want to pay for every normal item that you buy. And I tell people you should be your own expert on things that you buy routinely. You know, if you buy um, cereal and you know that you can get that cereal oftentimes for, you know, a dollar fifty to two dollars a box, when it's four fifty and people just pick it up anyway, it makes me crazy, you know. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of times I hear people say, Oh, you you should make your menu and then you should go shopping. And I'm like, I don't make a menu until I look at the sale flyers because I don't decide that we're having chicken if everybody has pork chops on sale this week. Or, you know, so last week everybody had boneless chicken breasts on sale. So I'm buying boneless chicken breasts last week, and this week everybody's doing turkeys because it's almost Thanksgiving, and probably next week it's going to be beef. And so, you know, I, I decide what, what I'm buying by looking at the flyers. In fact, I'm sitting with all of my ads that come in my mail that people just throw in the trash can. And, and it has all of our area stores and what's on sale. And I, I get out one sheet of paper and I make a list of what every store has. And that's how I decide which ones I want to go to. Um, and if I happen to get by one of those stores and see that they had uh, something I want, I I know, um, you know, who has what on sale. And then I'm looking at my coupons to see if I could match up um, something that's on sale, like Domino Sugar in our area. Four pounds for a dollar ninety nine is is a pretty good buy. But then you take a coupon that's uh, seventy five cents off two, which our store will double. So now I'm getting a dollar fifty off of the two, and so you know that that brings that price down uh, significantly. And so you know it's almost Christmas time. I'll I'll use eight pounds of sugar at Christmas time when we're making cookies. Um, so that, you know I want to take advantage of that instead of just deciding to do it when it's you know uh, three dollars for the uh, four pound bag, and I need it, so I just buy it. Yeah, it's uh, what you say here again is is profound wisdom in very simple terms. Plan ahead. If you know what things that you eat all the time, what they cost at various stores, you are much better prepared to take advantage of the sales. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, you don't want to buy something simply because it's on sales. I mean, I hate pickled pig's feet. Why would I buy? (laughs) eight jars of it because it was on sale. Correct. <laughs> and I think people do that all the time. I know my father was notorious for that. 
In fact, I have a real quick story to tell. I had a cousin who really wasn't very uh, good at keep taking care of money. My father saw that they were spending too much and all. He took them out and bought them a freezer. And then he went shopping and he filled the freezer with seasonal vegetables and all sorts of things over a period of a couple of weeks. And he bought them, I think, two dozen chickens, all wow. kinds of food. And he's sitting in their house. And my cousin said, oh, look, they've got chicken breasts on sale at the market. And he looked at the price, and he looked at the chicken breast. And he said, I just bought you two dozen chickens. What are the chicken breasts all about? And she said, oh, that's what I feed to the cat. What? <laughs> that's what I feed to the cat. So <laughs> she was, you know, she never did get things in shape. Some people you can't help. <laughs> so you, some people you can't help. And they were always in trouble. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the I other thing I get asked a lot, and I'm going to sort of let you ramble on this. Every now and then I have somebody say, what should I do first? Because I have a number of things. Have an emergency fund, save and invest some money, get some savings account, and get out of debt. What do you do first? I would get out of debt first. Uh, well, let me let me rephrase that. A little bit of savings is good. I mean, to have a a what what Dave Ramsey would call a baby emergency fund, something right. like a thousand bucks is is key to uh, because when you're trying to get out of debt and you're paying extra on debt, mm-hmm. something always comes up and then you're back in debt and you don't have any money. And so having that little baby emergency fund is a is a good idea. And then starting to you know, really um, get a good plan for getting out of debt. But that that budget piece, and I've been teaching Dave Ramsey course at church for a while, and I also teach my own course at at my work, at my nonprofit that I work for. Um, You know, that budget piece can't be stressed enough because if people aren't paying attention to where everything is going, they just always run out of money because they're... They just really think a budget is just putting their bills on paper. And I said, that's the beginning of a budget, but that is not a budget. I said, a budget has to look at everything that we do with money. And, um, you know, there have been years where I have made a lot or little. I've had, you know, where I've been working 65 hours a week at two jobs to now where I'm working, you know, 35 hours a week. My budget stays very similar, and when I make a lot more money, I give more and I save more, but I don't spend a lot more. Yeah, that's that's a really good idea. A lot of people have their uh, lifestyle go up with their salary, and if they keep Mm -hmm. their lifestyle pretty uh, stable. They go buy a new car and a more expensive car, and then the income goes down, and they're stuck with that high car. Um, You know, and I've learned over the years, and I knew that when I was working those two jobs at 65 hours, I knew I wasn't going to be doing that for the rest of my life, and it only lasted for probably three years. And those three years, we ended up, you know, saving extra money and taking a cruise and giving to our, you know, charities that we like to support. Um, you know, and then when things went back to normal, it, we can't give and save the way I was doing in those years, but it doesn't hurt my uh, lifestyle. I still can pay my bills, and I still can have normal fun. Um, you know, yeah. there's a word that describes that. You are content with what you've got. Absolutely. And if people would learn to be content and satisfied, a lot of this 
would go by the board. Mm -hmm. To answer my own question, I suggest you do all three at once, um, in stages. Um, the, uh, I mean, which is the most important leg of a ladder? The right right. one or the left one? Well, you need both of them. Mm -hmm. I suggest you get your emergency fund first of all, up to that $500 little bit. Then you split it half and half up to the maximum of a 401k or employer matched funds for some in savings. And when you reach that maximum, you work on getting out of debt and take your emergency fund up a little bit. And then when you get out of debt, you can start to bring the emergency fund up where it needs to be right. and where the, and a budget, it really helps you do this because, and the other thing I say is emergency fund has to be depending on your lifestyle. If you've got three kids who are, Eight to 15 years old and a husband and your job is at risk, you might need a lot more in that emergency fund than you first thought if you're both uh, secure and single. So I, I think, again, looking at the budgets is very, very important. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Nikki, it's been great having you on the program. I remind our listeners that they can check PTFF for some of the forms to help themselves along in my book. And... Uh, You've been listening to me, Gordon Bennett, and Nikki Holcroft on the program, Money, Jobs, Health, and Things of Life. And we'll see you again next week here at the same time, 4 o'clock Eastern, 1 o'clock Pacific. And uh, meanwhile, have a good week. Thank you for listening to Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life. Please join your host, Gordon Bennett, again next Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This week, are you going to make a bad choice or a great choice with your money? Come back next week for more. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com.